The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox this Monday morning. Got a lot of headlines for you, so uh, let's get them now. Uh, another record daily increase in global coronavirus cases, failing to dent risk on appetite as Asian equities open the week stronger. But the president in the United States, Mr. Trump, wears a mask for the first time in public as U.S. infections rise to 3.3 million. The White House, meanwhile, threatening to slap an extra 25% tariff on French cosmetics and handbags if it fails to back down on the digital tax giving Paris 180 days to decide its stance. Easing on the agenda, oil prices coming under a bit of pressure after uh, reports that OPEC and its allies could unwind their record output cuts now that uh, demand is improving. And Tesla cuts the price of its Model Y by $3,000 just four months after hitting the showroom floor. And despite the vehicle making the electric car maker its first profit in 17 years. Good to see you all today, right? Let's get into these stories. Sunday saw the largest one-day rise in new coronavirus cases, with the total increasing by over 230,000 230, in just 24 hours. Now, this is according to the World Health Organization. The United States, Brazil, India, and South Africa saw the biggest jump in cases. The total number of confirmed infections is nearing the 13 million mark. The global death toll is approaching 600,000 and increasing by roughly 5,000 per day. Now, Florida has recorded a record single-day rise in infections. The state recorded over 15,000 new cases on Sunday. Now, that easily surpassed the previous daily record reported in New York in April when it was at the epicenter of the U.S. outbreak. This as Disney World reopens its doors to the public with a series of strict safety measures in place. According to Reuters, virus cases are on the rise in 40 states, 40 states with Arizona, California and Texas, all reporting a sharp rise in infections and hospitalizations. The president, Mr. Trump, made his first public appearance wearing a face mask over the weekend. Trump sported the dark blue mask during a visit Saturday to a military medical facility where he met with soldiers and frontline healthcare workers. The president had previously refused to wear a mask in public, but has since changed his tone on the issue as the outbreak has worsened in parts of the United States. Right, uh, absolutely fascinating looking at these markets at the moment. And what we're doing, of course, is searching for knowledge. We're always searching for knowledge in markets before we make decisions, before we put money on various markets and before we take money off, risk on, risk off. And I think this week is very important. I'll just take a second to stay. I think the amount of knowledge you as an investor, you as our audience will find this week could be actually very important for you this week in all kinds of ways. For instance, you've got this very important second quarter data out of China. 
uh, on the on Wednesday. Now, many people are saying, actually, we could see growth in the second quarter, which seems an extraordinary statement. I mean, OK, historically, not extraordinary, but given what we've been through uh, in Asia and obviously globally, to see growth in the second quarter and, and just checking on the number would be very interesting. And of course, bearing in mind the Shanghai Composite, the CSI 300, these are indices that have put on double digits so far uh, in 2020. Extraordinary rises to the upside on the basis of, well, what? And that's why we're going to really pour over this data. Stateside, the data is really important as well. We're going to get things such as industrial production, retail sales, consumer prices, all very important. Plus, we're going to get a lot of information about the stock market in terms of the earnings season, which kicks off this week. So we'll come to all of that in a few moments' time. So this is where the Asian markets are. 1.3% higher for the Shanghai Composite. The uh, Nikkei 225, again, having a really good rally, 449 points to the upside. And again, Think about how I opened the show. Think about the statements we talked about coronavirus, the big increase in cases, the increase in hospitalizations, the increase in mortalities as well. And yet markets, markets are finding a way to look beyond that as well. Right, let's have a look at the opening calls for European indices. Again, there was a, a rally. Funny enough, we were just talking about this in terms of the oil price. But there was a rally in certain asset classes on Friday evening after Europe closed. So actually, we're playing a little bit of catch-up where we can maintain these gains in the, uh, in, in the confrontation of all the evidence we're talking about, i.e. the data and indeed the individual corpus, remains to be seen. But there you go, big increases seen. And I'll just tell you what the week-to-date moves were on some of these as well, because it was very underwhelming yet again on the European bourses. Well, especially this one. I read a piece in the Sunday Times talking about how the FTSE is undervalued at the moment, but how do you buy the FTSE given the, its weighting to financials, given its weighting to energy, given its weighting to Brexit as well? Maybe that's exactly the time to buy it. I don't know. I'm not saying anything. I've got enough of it with my pension, I'm pretty sure. My passive pension, I hasten to add. Uh, up 56 points at 61.48. The Zetradax has been uh, a stellar outperformer compared with the FTSE on every week and every measure as well. So whilst the FTSE was down 2.3% last week, the Zetradax is up 1.2%. The Cacarant uh, uh, was up 0.7% last week. So again, the same trends we saw throughout this year with the DAX outperforming, the CAC being, CAC being very respectable and the FTSE being pretty rubbish, that going on again last week. Should we have a look at the US markets? Again, the, the moves from US markets compared with European is it, quite stellar. Week to date, the Dow was up a percent. The S&P was up 1.8%. Oh, yeah, NASDAQ just put on another 4% last week. I know there's secular trends. I keep hearing it, so there must be secular trends. I hear it on a weekly basis from all you strategists out there. But my goodness me, you're buying into the NASDAQ in some style, aren't you? So anyway, who knows? Banks, very important to look at the banks. Goldman's, Morgan Stanley, all the big banks reporting. We spent a lot of time talking about Wells last week. Even Wells, which has been a, a dreadful performer compared uh, with some of the other big names as well, put on 6% last week. In fact, Citigroup outperformed it, and that was the only one that outperformed it out of the major banks. We are expecting a wealth uh, of US corporate earnings over the next few days. I think we kick off on Tuesday and that with JPM, isn't it? So Goldman Sachs, 4.4% high. The, 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 the very blunt story is that trading volumes are going to be stratospheric. Uh, maybe uh, volumes from, from funding reoperations and refunding operations, they're going to be good as well. m and going to be a bit quieter, isn't it, as well? So US futures, what do they look like? They're on a board. So let's have a look at these uh, futures as well. Again, we're called higher at the start of trading. The implied open up 19 for the S&P, 64 points to the good on the Nasdaq. So Wall Street is bracing for its first earnings recession since 2016 after more than 180 US companies withdrew their guidance amid the virus downturn. US banks kicking off the season, as we reported there, JP Morgan, Citigroup and Wells Fargo releasing 
numbers tomorrow. So David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs. Uh, we haven't spoken before, I don't think. And I think you're down in Tennessee as well, which is a great part of the world, albeit suffering some uh, some tough times like the rest of us as all at the moment as well. So what do you think? What, what, what am I missing on the earnings season? There's a lot of hope and expectations built in, sir. I think you're right. The prices are reflecting a world that's looking through the dip. Uh, we see that the even though Wall Street analyst earnings are predicting a 20% decline in profits. When you scrub those numbers for unusual write-offs, unusual expenses, which there will be a lot of because of COVID, you see a much smaller single-digit decline. And, and the market, we believe, is looking through that noise and focusing on the more normal earnings, the more normalized underlying profitability of the business, which long-term is not going to be nearly as affected as the short-term numbers suggest. David, you and I have been around long enough to know that the numbers now should be pretty well established with the investment community, with the analysts, with the people like yourself. You know, the whisper numbers, everyone should have had uh, the right expectations about the numbers looking backward. It's the going forward bit that everyone's concerned about, everyone's perhaps more excited about as well. And this swift V-shaped earnings recovery for 2021 that appears to be built in, that's where I think the juice is perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, this is a temporary phenomenon. It's not going to be a permanent fixture in our life going forward. We're going to get through this. And when we do, a lot of businesses are going to be better off. Sure, some won't survive, but the strong businesses are probably going to be gaining market share that's lost and left by the businesses that don't survive. So there's a really strong survivor bias, and I think there's a lot of potential earnings leverage that comes from the kind of pressure that makes good businesses better and puts bad businesses out of business. Uh, I think there's a lot of optimism in your favoured stock picks as well. Things like Simon Property Group, Southwest Airlines, Hyatt, Caterpillar as well. All stocks that have been beaten down by concerns about the US and global economy as well. Do you want to just pick out one or two themes you think is going to drive those stocks to outperform? Sure. You know, what we always like to try to focus on in, in these kinds of situations is best in class operators. The best businesses in their, in their space, like Simon Property Group and REITs, Southwest Airlines, and for the airlines, these are the firms with the highest margins, the highest returns on capital. They're going to survive. Uh, and when we first pointed these stocks out as, as good ideas, they were, they're trading at historically low prices relative to profits. So um, really what we were pointing out is that, look, as long as you believe that within the next 10 years, the economy and these businesses get back to where they were in the last couple of years, these stocks were great, great values because the sentiment uh, that uh, that was portrayed at the time that we put these stocks on our long idea list was just that they would never, ever recover from the lows um, uh, back in March, et cetera, and the lows from the profits based on COVID. So we're effectively just saying, look, the market was being too short term, too depressed based on what looked like a really bleak economic situation and will be bleak but only for a short time. But, and you can be the best company in the world or best in class, and we know some of these names are absolutely blue chip, David, as well. But there are a lot of factors out there which they can't control. They can't control what the Fed's doing. They can't control what happens in November, of course. And it's looking very interesting looking at the comments from Mr. Biden now about corporate taxation and reversal, perhaps, of some Trump policies. Again, we're a long way off, depending on we don't know who's going to be president uh, come the result of that election. Plus, we can't control what's going on on a trans-Pacific basis as well uh, with the rhetoric between China 
China and the US as well. Of all these factors, or maybe other factors, which the companies can't control themselves, which do you think is the biggest for our viewers? I think the political landscape is probably the, the, the most important. Uh, I think that, you know, there are a lot of um, things that, uh, depending on how elections go, can, can push stocks uh, in one direction or the other. I think uh, adverse tax policies would probably be a big negative. I think most of the news out of China is pretty well priced in. Uh, and so I think that, you know, investors need to roll up their sleeves and focus on looking at the cleaner numbers. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there. Some stocks are really plenty fully valued, maybe even overvalued, especially those that, that, that take big positions or enjoy large allocations and popular ETFs and passive trading strategies. But if you look past those numbers and into some of the less well-known, less popular stocks, there's a lot of great value to be had, no matter what the political environment ends up being. I hear what you're saying on that as well. I mean, it seems that you're, you're flying in the face of this huge herd, this stampede, doesn't it, when you, you try and point out these valuation distortions. But the biggest valuation distortion I can find is the difference between the best performing sector and the worst performing sector in the States. And you know this better than I do, David. The difference is 60% so far between energy and tech. One up 18%, the other down 42%. Anything to be traded there either on one side of that coin or the other? Yeah, we've been saying for a while, you know, energy has been overly beaten down. And we think that that investors should focus on the refiners uh, and integrated oil firms. Don't you know, you, you need to probably avoid a lot of the exploration and production firms, companies that are dependent upon the price of oil being high to make money. That's 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 a problem. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with that. But if you can be in, in companies that are really just middlemen, they're taking the oil at a particular price and they're selling it later at a higher price. Uh, and in the distribution of energy and fuels, those are businesses that aren't going to go away. They're going to make a profit whether the oil price is low or the oil price is high uh, because firms and companies and the world needs fuel. That's not going to change. And a lot of those firms are not strictly dependent upon fossil fuels either. They'll be able to deliver other types of fuels, smarter, cleaner, better fuels as well. So. Um, again, being in the fuel business is effectively a good business to be in, uh, no matter the environment, and you can pick up some great value in that space as well. Yeah, but th there's a problem, isn't there? And this is a sector which is a metaphor for the broader corporate debt, which has just rained down upon us in the good times, let alone the bad times as well. Got a guest later on speaking about the vast amount of corporate debt. Dare I say it, a lot of it is in the United States as well. Do I need to ever start worrying about this or because of the largesse from the central bank? Just forget it. <laughs> the largest from the central bank is really impressive, and it does lead you to believe that maybe you can forget about that kind of stuff. And the answer to your question is yes. For certain companies, you absolutely need to be absolutely need to pay attention. Investors need can no longer sort of paint the entire market or even sectors of companies with the same brush. Some companies are better off than others, and that's why the stocks on our see through the dip list are are I guess again best in class operators with ample liquidity which means not too much debt. Uh, and if they have a significant amount of debt, they've got the cash flows to easily cover it. So yeah, I think there will be some firms that will that will go down, that won't make it through. Those are going to be the weaker players, the, the ones with weaker balance sheets who've taken on too much debt. Because we all know when there's so much of a good thing, some of us know when to stop, some of us don't. And there'll be some examples of companies uh, that won't make it, but there will be plenty that will. So you gotta, you kind of got to sharpen your pencil and really look at the numbers closely to make sure you're picking the right ones. 
David, absolute pleasure speaking to you, sir. Thank you very much indeed for uh, coming to us at what must be an unseemly hour uh, in Nashville as well. Can't help thinking of Nashville and thinking of great songs as well. David, I love you to speak to you and we'll speak to you again soon, no doubt. David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs. Did I mention about the economic data? Yeah, I did. Okay, right. Big calendar. Really big. Okay, we've got the IMF's latest projections uh, for the Middle East region. That's coming out. Uh, tomorrow, OPEC, two-day meeting as well. Tuesday, uh, we get Chinese trade data for June. Uh, the Bank of Japan issues its rate decision on Wednesday, whilst the Fed releases the Beige Book. ECB Governing Council then meeting on Thursday. Uh, retail sales, huge number out of the US on that day. And on Friday, you'll all make it to Friday. Don't worry, it seems a long way off now, but we'll be there. Uh, European leaders will be meeting again in person, apparently, for the first time since the outbreak, whilst the G20 finance ministers will hold a virtual conference over the weekend. There you go, that's enough to get through, isn't it? Uh, coming up on the show, the US threatens to impose fresh tariffs on billions of dollars in French goods as the trade and tech row between Paris and Washington ratchets up. And I'm told there's a, a vintage podcast in the offing as well. We're only halfway through it, aren't we? Uh, and for more on the rising number of cases in the US as well as the market reaction, check out, yes, the Squawk Box podcast. It's everywhere. We'll be back after a short break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Uh, the U.S. has threatened to put a new 25% tariff on $1.3 billion worth of French goods as a retaliation against digital services tax that would hit large American tech companies. U.S. trade officials listed several items facing potential levies, including cosmetics, handbags and soap as well. Let's get to Charlotte. Charlotte, am I right in thinking this is the phoniest war of all time at the moment? Bearing in mind the French aren't putting any taxes just yet on American goods uh, and services uh, and the... Uh, the Americans aren't doing it yet uh, on the French goods and services. So it's just a lot of posturing, isn't it? You're right. It's a bit of a cat and mouse game, but not sure who's the cat, who's the mouse here. But this is the latest chapter in this um, confrontation between uh, the US and France. So remember, this investigation opened in July 2019 uh, after the France passed their law on digital services tax with 3% on companies that make 750 million uh, euros in global revenues and 25 million of those in France. So just after Parliament passed this, then the US decided to open an investigation to decide whether this was discriminatory against US companies. Uh, so they, uh, the, the, the negotiation then started there. They did some public, um, uh, they took some public opinion on this in the US. Then at the end of 2019, they published a list of French goods that could be taxed. It was $2.4 billion of French goods, including champagne, cheese, and leather goods. Um, then in January, the latest and the, the new uh, rebound of the story in January, then France said uh, they would suspend this tax while the negotiation at the OECD level for a multilateral framework on digital tax could be uh, negotiated. Um, finally, then the US, you remember, in June decided that uh, the negotiations at the OECD level were not 
uh, advancing far enough that they had reached an impasse and that countries were too busy with the COVID crisis. And you remember that French finance minister called this, Bruno Le Maire called this a provocation from the US to not stay at the table and, and try to negotiate. Now we have this final list and they had to come up with that list, the US, because this is one year since the opening of the investigation. So they had to present a list as part of the investigation within this one year framework. But the list is much smaller. So it's $1.3 billion instead of the 2.4 originally mentioned in December. And uh, champagne and cheese have fallen out of that list. So now it's concentrating on leather goods and soap and makeup mainly on that list. So now we'll have to see what the French government respond to this. On one hand, you could say it's a smaller amount. There's less goods on this. So it's a positive sign. On the other hand, you could say now the US said they will impose these tariffs in six months, in January 2021, if there's no progress uh, on the OECD level and if France doesn't drop their tax as well. So we will see where this goes. We know that France, thanks to this, thanks to this tax, collected 350 million euros last year. And of course, countries are very much under pressure with growing deficits on the back of the COVID crisis and the packages that they've put out to support their economies. And more countries in the world have been putting this digital tax in place. The US have opened investigations on 10 more countries and the EU as well, uh, including the UK and Spain, have also put in place some of this digital tax. So we will see where these conversations go here. But again, as you said, Steve, this latest chapter of this one year, one year and a half battle between France and the US, a lot of rhetoric. Now some actions potentially because it is suspended until January. So we'll see where we go, Steve. Excellent work. Thank you very much indeed for that. And, and, I, and I should just point out to viewers the, the graphic. Um, I heard chortling from my producer, Katie, and I like, well, so we've got handbags. We get that one, yeah? Uh, that, that's obvious. On the left, um, cosmetics. The middle one, it looks like coins floating over my wallet, but apparently it's not. All right, Katie, calm down. Uh, no, it's soap. That's, I, I get it now. That's just a bar of soap with bubbles over. Oh, the younger audience is going, what's a bar of soap? <laughs> anyway, well done, the graphics team. Uh, right, President Trump has quashed hopes for a phase two trade deal with China, reportedly saying the relationship has been, quote, severely damaged by the pandemic and that he wasn't even uh, thinking about further negotiations. Now, Sam, this is really interesting. And, and the team's going to put together a read as well about the China Iran negotiations as well, and how that could be other, another flashpoint with the United States as well. But there are flashpoints galore at the moment, Trans-Pacific. A very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning to you. I'll pick up on uh, Donald Trump's comments there. Uh, he really did appear to pour cold water on the next phase uh, of the trade deal with China over the weekend. Responding to these remarks, Chinese state media was pretty quick, uh, saying they're unlikely to make any splash uh, in Beijing, uh, let alone change China's stance on trade negotiations. And uh, it did suggest that the U.S. needs this uh, phase two agreement more than China does, given the state of the U.S. economy at the moment. So it'd be very interesting to see uh, what kind of official response we do get to all of this. Of course, economists have already been sceptical about just how realistic the phase one trade deal uh, was, despite the fact that both sides had uh, really shown that confidence in meeting their ends of the bargain. But, you know, a lot of these uh, issues that we're dealing with, this significant deterioration in the relationship, as you mentioned, Steve, uh, has really, you know, added to those, uh, added to that scepticism and uh, raised a lot of questions about the seriousness um, of this trade deal. 
And uh, to make matters worse in this souring relationship, uh, the U.S. has now warned its citizens in China of the increased risks of arbitrary detention, uh, as well as a ban on actually leaving the country. So uh, the U.S. embassy in China issued a statement over the weekend saying that U.S. citizens uh, may be detained without access to U.S. consular services or information about their alleged crime. They may be subjected to prolonged interrogations and extended detention for reasons related to state security. It also said that U.S. citizens may be detained or deported for sending private electronic messages critical of the Chinese government. Certainly an alarming message there from the U.S. embassy in China. Uh, it's not clear what really prompted this alert, but of course we did see Australia issue a similar warning last week, which Beijing slammed as ridiculous. Uh, we're waiting to hear, of course, a response from foreign ministry. That'll likely come this afternoon. But in the meantime, Chinese state media has said that this has uh, added to these tensions that we are seeing, you know, most recently over the origins of the virus. And now this controversial Hong Kong national security law saying that experts have slammed the travel advisory. The warning is a blatant distortion of the truth and uh, that's aimed at actually uh, creating or hyping up this sort of China fear. Now, mainland markets have mainly been or largely been shrugging off a lot of this geopolitical tension. Of course, we're seeing the Shenzhen composite up over 3% right now out of the lunch break. The Shanghai composite, uh, meanwhile, uh, around 1.5%. Um, but we will certainly be keeping a close eye on uh, the Chinese markets this week as we've got a raft of economic data on tap. Steve, back to you. Yes, I'm um, indeed. And I'm looking forward to going through it all with you uh, throughout the week. Thank you very much indeed for that. I've been given carte blanche as well by my friend Leonie, who's worked with me for 11 years, so she's mad. Um, uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about that China deal with uh, Iran. I'm looking at the New York Times copy. There is other copy out there. They've seen an 18-page proposed agreement uh, over at the NYT uh, that would vastly expand the Chinese presence in banking, telecommunications, ports, railways, uh, loads of other projects, including trading oil as well, which will fly in the face, of course, at the US sanctions. So it's going to be a huge, huge flashpoint as well. Right. OK, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is reportedly expected to release plans to take China's Huawei out of Britain's 5G network. The move would be a major reversal for Mr Johnson, who has faced criticism from Conservative Party members and US officials over claims that Huawei allows Beijing to spy on Western governments. Reports say the company has requested a meeting with Mr Johnson in a bid to delay the phasing out until 2025. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.